Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Tuesday, July 13th, and I'm the host, Emily Flippin. Today, I am joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst as we talk about the somewhat unexpected reemergence of Crocs. Asit, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Emily. And um, I must say, as uh, you know, we tape this in real time, we're on live on Motley Fool Live, I'm not wearing Crocs. Um, I am curious, and I don't own any Crocs. Before we begin, do you own a pair of Crocs? <laughs> I do not own a pair of Crocs, but the reason why I wanted to talk about this today was because uh, my boyfriend, of all people, you know, took me out to the mall, dragged me out Saturday evening to go to the Croc store because he wanted a pair of Crocs. And I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, this is the strangest thing that he's asked me to do, but yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be a good girlfriend. So I go with him. I stand in line for almost half an hour outside of this Croc store because they're limiting the number of people that can go in. But the place was just packed. And it got me thinking, oh my gosh, what is going on with Crocs? And for the people out there, the listeners who are the the uncool fashion laggards like myself, where if there is a curve, you are always behind it. Um, you may be completely unaware, like myself, that there's been this huge comebacks for Crocs. Uh, I I was truly astounded. So that was a long answer to say, no, I do not own a pair of Crocs, but I, I'm very close to maybe making a Croc purchase after having looked at a lot of their inventory this weekend. As I said on Slack, when you gave me that st- uh, statistic about yourself, 75% of the way there, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> Well, let me put it this way. If there was ever a personality with Crocs that fit, it was probably mine. I always value comfort over fashion. But what's really interesting is that Crocs are actually now becoming fashionable. And I I think that's probably where we'll spend a lot of today's show talking about. It's that Crocs, the gains that they've made over the past few years, is not because suddenly everybody cares about being comfortable again, although I'm sure there's an aspect of it to be attributed to that, but it's because Crocs are cool. And Crocs stock, if you just look at the performance of Crocs, I believe their ticker is C-R-O-X, it's up nearly 900% over the past five years, with 250% of that occurring in just the past 12 months alone. So certainly, Crocs are cool again. Yeah, Crocs are cool. And I should say they are sort of, um, I've, I've seen this described on the web as a binary brand choice, either you love them or you hate them. And I myself aspire to comfort. I wear uh, Converse's Chuck Taylor's, which is a very comfortable shoe. And I don't have much fashion sense either, Emily, but there's just something about them, which I just, you know, I can't fit my own foot in a croc, but I have bought them for my kids when they were younger. I totally get the, the argument of comfort and functionality. We'll get into that, but they do evoke some strong emotions. <laughs> I feel like there's no correct way to talk about Crocs without talking about, I guess, a brief history of Crocs. It's mostly what I associate with and I imagine that there's a lot of people listening who also associate Crocs with their history. They were really introduced, I think it was in 2002, by just three co-founders of Crocs that put together this comfy and ugly synthetic work shoe. But I think it was around 2007, 2008, Crocs had just 
taken off. And as you mentioned, Austin, it was this really divisive brand. You had all of these people coming out and speaking out against it while others were adamantly defending it. And the argument was never really, oh, well, Crocs are a reasonable shoe to wear. It's that, you know, you are either given up on life and all things fashion by buying a pair of Crocs, or you don't care about comfort or usability at all, and you don't buy a pair of Crocs. There is really no gray area in between. Well, you know, it's interesting, Emily, that the three co-founders hopped on the idea on a boating trip. Uh, there was a small manufacturer, manufacturer that was making a shoe close to what we know today as the baseline croc shoe. And they were just taken by how comfortable the shoe was. And they found out that the material itself, Crosslight, was patented. Um, so they basically acquired the rights to manufacture shoes with made out of this material. They were very, very focused on that idea of comfort and usability and function that, yeah, I think by the time they took it to market, it dawned on them that there was another part of the shoe that was going to be really great was the brand aspect of something that provoked a lot of different opinions on its stylistic value. And that was actually part of the argument that leadership had for Crocs when it started to get popular was they were proud of how ugly the shoe was. I don't think they ever tried to say that it wasn't ugly. They even had a campaign running ads saying something along the lines of ugly can be beautiful. Um, so it was really something that leadership leaned into. Yeah. And, you know, with in doing that, they expanded not just in the US, but globally. Um, the company was really gaining a lot of momentum after its uh, IPO, and they used capital they raised from follow-on offerings to buy businesses like Gibbets. Now, Gibbets makes those little charms that you can insert anywhere into a Crocs shoe. And for the two listeners who haven't seen a Crocs shoe, it's designed with a lot of holes in the on the exterior so that you, you can fit little charms inside those holes. Now, that's not why it was designed this way. It was designed for breathability, um, but it enabled Crocs to do something that Adidas and Nike and the largest athletic shoe manufacturers have literally spent billion dollars doing in more sophisticated ways, which is how do you customize a shoe for a customer? You can go to the Adidas store and build your own shoe. You can do the same with Nike. Um, Crocs got onto this trend and really capitalized on it by having just a manual type of customization with the gibbets, which remains a very popular adornment to the Crocs shoe today. Not to make this too anecdotal and not to you know put my boyfriend on blast in this podcast, but he went with a Crocs shoe with the intent of getting something he could wear in the shower at the gym. And we left the store with, yes, a pair of Crocs shoes, but also probably more money spent in gibbets than the shoes cost themselves. I was I, I was amazed by how successful the gibbets were. Something that when I look at it, I think I associate it with maybe like a an eight-year-old girl would, would put on her shoes, little charms that you accessorize with. But in reality, management thinks that the gibbets are just an opportunity to play off this huge trend towards personalization that people are experiencing. And in my boyfriend's case, he got a bunch of bananas to put on them because his coworkers always make fun of him for eating bananas a lot. I, I don't know. But the point is, is that everybody has little things that they associate with themselves or their personalities. And gibbets are a way for Crocs to monetize off of that. Yeah. And Emily, I know you're going to talk a little bit about variability of design and the tremendous 
amount of SKUs that Crocs has traditionally put out. So the numbers of unique styles that you can buy in stores and online. Uh, Gibbets is one manifestation of that uniqueness and personalization, but it's a double-edged sword, which I know you'll get to. But maybe that's a good segue to talk about the, the, the business model, which can offer Teeter on the edge because it tends to lean into things like personalization, massive swathes of, of inventory to suit different styles around the globe. It, it's an interesting question to think about what would have happened to Crocs had the Great Recession not happened. I tend to think that Crocs, to your point, Osset, probably still overinvested in a lot of things, personalization being one, inventory being one, SKUs definitely being one. But when you look at part of the reason why Crocs had this big failure in, in 2008, 2009 was largely because of the Great Recession. Crocs plummeted. It reached an all-time high in 2007, and then and discretionary spending really came to a halt in 2008, 2009. And Crocs suddenly was stuck with a ton of inventory, a ton of SKUs um, just sitting on their books alongside a decent amount of debt. And for a period, people were convinced Crocs was just going to go bankrupt as a result. Um, there was also this belief in saturation, I think. And maybe that's a problem that still exists today, is that when people buy a pair of Crocs, they do last forever. So you're not finding yourself needing to replace them, feeling particularly compelled to go back and purchase more shares. Um, there's a Washington Post article I found from 2009 that talked a bit about the bankruptcy. And um, I loved this quote. They said, who needs a second pair of Crocs in a recession? And <laughs> that kind of, I don't know, colors, I guess, how Crocs got to where it is today. Well, you know, I lived that, Emily, because uh, our kids... So here's here's our side of the story, my side of the story. Our kids were young uh, during the Great Recession. They were in uh, middle and elementary school. And uh, so we have three kids. And we bought Crocs for all of them and never replaced them. I think maybe we might have replaced one pair because they were lost. But they're very durable. And if you're buying them for utility, you really don't need more than a, a, a couple of pairs. Some people buy the, the rain boots, so that's one like variation you can have in your closet. But I, I saw that firsthand, um, and I also saw that it, it's, it's a very personal choice. I couldn't, again, imagine myself putting on a pair of Crocs, but my kids, when they were younger, really liked this. Now, footnote to that story, uh, none of my uh, boys who are now uh, I have two in college and one in high school. None of them like Crocs or think they're that great a shoe. They, they've moved on to uh, other types of shoe, although that demographic is becoming, once again, a really avid buyer of this shoe. And, and that's probably, again, what makes today different than Crocs in the past was the move towards both Gen Z consumers as well as just streetwear and counterculture, actually accepting Crocs as a, as a real fashion trend catalyzed by a lot of uh, agreements and, and I guess partnerships Crocs has made with big brands and big designers out there. Um, so when you look at what exists for, for Crocs today versus kind of the stagnation that it was in post-recession, I'd say the fundamental difference between what we experienced in, in those periods where Crocs was, you know, I guess, performing well, right, 2006, 2007, before the Great Recession, and what we're experiencing today is that Crocs are are fashionable. Maybe not to your to your kids, Osset, but I, my, my very little level of primary research says people people think Crocs are cool. 
Yeah, for sure. And they are doing a great job in targeting a young demographic and also a fun-loving demographic. It's a very irreverent brand. Um, they've got a really nice presence on TikTok. Um, they tend to do very wild and crazy things. There is a Croc stiletto that sells is going to sell in 2022 for about a thousand bucks, made by a major fashion uh, Italian fashion designer. So there you go. I I think that you have a brand which really knows how to appeal to a new audience. I mean, this is a, a young audience, younger than my kids who have grown up without seeing that whole cycle through the Great Recession where they became uncool after they were cool. So the cyclicality of this brand is just fascinating. And when you look at the style differences between what Crocs is doing today versus in the past. And that cyclical nature is still there, as you mentioned. I think that's always going to be there when you have a fashion brand in, in any sense. Maybe not to the extreme that Crocs has had historically, but there's always some aspect of cyclicality there. Uh, I, I think one of the big focuses, and maybe you can talk more about this as their management team has changed, has just been moving away from having way too many SKUs, um, the storekeeping units, right? So when you get on their website and you look through the different shoe offerings, it's just the number of different offerings they provide. And they had over 5,500 SKUs at their peak in 2007, which is a huge amount of SKUs for a, a Crocs brand in particular. And it was part of the reason why they had over-invested in inventory that then had a really hard time moving. And in recent years, management has made it a priority to cut back on those SKUs. And while they haven't broken it down, at least not in any of the reports that I read, um, management has made comments saying they've reduced that SKU count in the order of 40 to 70%. Yeah, I think that that this is something that is going to be an an ever-present question for investors. If you buy this company for the long term, you'll have to monitor that SKU account because they they have to lean into capacity when interest is high, as it's been through the Great Recession. We haven't even mentioned yet how much of a boost this company got out of COVID simply because it became a go-to brand for at-home comfort while people were on Zoom calls. Um, In fact, some surveys of the contemporary shoe market show that this is the only major brand to take market share during the Great Recession. Almost everyone else experienced a general decrease in market share last year as people stayed home. Some lifestyle brands were able to expand, but among major brands, Crocs stood out for its acceleration last year, and and that's continued into 2021. Now, part of this, I think, is just smarter management um, of inventory and of the life cycle, many life cycles of this brand. And you can trace this to a second wave of reorganization that occurred between 2014 and 2017. I say a second wave because they had a first wave of reorganization during the Great Recession. Um, What you were describing earlier, Emily, when the company was flirting with bankruptcy, they emerged from that, but again, started to see difficult times uh, about seven or eight years later. And this propelled um, one really prominent a uh, private equity firm to take an interest in Crocs. So in 2014, Blackstone, which is one of the largest managers of assets uh, in the world, bought $200 million worth of shares. And that gave the company sort of a lifeline. At the time, I think its market capitalization may have been like $800 million. So you're talking nearly a quarter uh, of shares, if I remember correctly. 
And they installed uh, a gentleman named Andrew Reese as president who has a lot of brand acumen, but also is uh, very good at managing supply chains um, and, and operationally has a lot of strength. Reese was appointed CEO in 2017, and Blackstone essentially forced out um, anyone left who was originally associated with the company. Reese took over. He was able to reduce overhead. Um, he focused on the classic brand SKUs, so going back to the company's first iterations, and made sure that where Crocs was allocating capital, it was promoting its sort of evergreen brand, because that is a core component of their revenue stream. But then he also started marketing to what were at that time millennials. Now, they've followed on with the younger generations since 2017 over the last four years. And then also, one thing that Reese achieved was a lot of brand extensions, sort of the wacky um, one-offs that we see today. Uh, we, and we should also mention here, this, you know, Emily, this company reminds me in some ways of Funko, which makes the uh, collectible bobblehead dolls that you see uh, both online and now even in Walmart and Target. Some Crocs have become collectible items and they sell out. And I wonder if some of those might have been on sale when your boyfriend was trying to buy his Crocs this weekend because they have been noted for the long lines around their stores. Some people are trying to get at inventory that's not going to be replaced, that they can just keep in their closet and watch go up in value, which I find um, a really savvy, to be a really savvy business move. Look, the Crocs, I'll let fly. But the moment he tries to bring Funko toys into this house, um, that's where the line is going to be drawn. I can tell you that much. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have I have to weigh on on his weigh in on his side because that may be a money making proposition. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> well, that would change everything, wouldn't it? <laughs> True that. Well, one of the things uh, before we move on, one of the things that Reese did that I thought was really interesting as, as CEO was he mentioned he focused on on kind of the back to basics of the brand, and that was the classic clog. And what he did was move the clogs to the back of the the store, so the best selling items pushed all the way in the back of the store. So when people came in, they had to walk all the way to the back just to get what they wanted. And the end result was not only building up brands, right, building up more of that store presence, but also higher sales. So it's an interesting uh, move. And I, I can't help but wonder how much of the success that we're seeing today is a result of of his work as, as CEO and how much is a result of just fads and trends. It's hard for me to, to separate those two things in my mind. It is for me as well. And, and I wonder too, if the pendulum doesn't swing back a bit. Now, we know that Crocs has really th um, thrived during the recession. It was doing pretty well though in 2019. And its comps, comparable sales versus 2019, look strong early this year. But the question is, will there be another sort of full circle reckoning among uh, buyers as they grow a little older? I think you'll always have a core component of buyers who are sold on Crocs um, for their comfort. There is that little hitch, though, that you don't need 10 pairs in your closet. One pair is going to last a long time. They're beloved, I know, in the medical industry for that reason. Think of the times you've gone into a doctor's office um, or at least been in a hospital and, and seen someone in scrubs and Crocs walking by. It seems almost like part of the uniform now. 
but they're extremely durable. So that does hit the uh, extension a little bit in terms of sales per customer and lifetime value. But I, I think this is such a company that rides on its uh, brand strength. And that is a little different than brands out there that are either higher or lower on the scale of desirability. So if you look at really high-end goods, they tend to have a very steady state of demand. And the same with goods which are are relatively cheap but have a lot of of brand love behind them. Coca-Cola is an example of a company with which has relatively inexpensive products. Um, and even as soda volumes have have declined, they've been able to sell a lot of Coke just because of the love for the brand. And then you've got brands which can be found in major department stores like Tiffany's and Nordstrom, which have just this sort of sustained desire behind them on the consumer's end. Crocs fits somewhere in the middle. You know, it's interesting, Emily, they actually went through a phase where they tried to focus Crocs as almost a luxury item. And they, I believe uh, there was a period early in the company's history where Nordstrom was its biggest retail outlet. <laughs> they quickly moved back to a, a sort of lower uh, value or, or lower cost proposition. But when you do that and your brand has this, as I, I called, named it before, sort of a bifurcated uh, view in the, the wider fashion world, then you've got to lean on those times where the whole left side of that fork, which are the people who love it, are piling in because you'll never ever get the people on the right side of the fork, those that are never going to have a pair of Crocs in their closet. Hey, never say never. Uh, part <laughs> of the reason why their 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 product is so popular with so many people is is their proprietary material. And when I was I was talking to my dad about this episode uh, before I was making the outline, he was like, "Well, can't people just three D print their own Crocs?" Uh, it gave me a chuckle, but the answer is no, they actually can't because uh, Crocs has a proprietary material that Crocs are made out of. Uh, I believe it's Crosslight, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, and it's proprietary. It's patented, uh, and supposedly what makes a croc so special and, and so comfortable is this material that is kind of hard to replicate. I don't think we've seen it replicated with such success in other brands. So I'm convinced there are people out there who think I will never own a pair of crocs who may be surprised yet. And I totally get that. I remember waves of knockoffs that you could buy on Amazon when we were buying uh, crocs for our kids. But the scuttlebutt from friends who had bought those were that they didn't feel the same and they weren't as durable. Uh, so with this patented material, I think Crocs has such a big advantage on the comfort scale uh, for people who like it. And the design has become iconic. I will bring up, though, one little drawback, which I think could affect the cyclical popularity uh, of this shoe, because it was an issue uh, during the Great Recession. And that is the the resin material itself, this foam resin material, it's chiefly made of something called ethylene vinyl acetate. And this is a plastic-like polymer. This polymer gives Crocs their elasticity, and it also gives Crocs that non-porous resistance to water. Even though <laughs> the shoe has holes in it, um, they don't really absorb water, so they're really easy to, to dry out and to shake off if you happen to get caught in the rain. Now, this material, because it is essentially a plastic-like material, is not recyclable uh, because although it has certain 
elements of, of plastic that could be recyclable. The injection of this resinous material keeps that from being recycled. They're non-biodegradable, so you can't compost them, for example. And I wonder if that doesn't become a concern again. Uh, I remember this was one of the reasons that we sort of made the decision to move away is because our friends were talking about the fact that they weren't very environmentally friendly. Now, this could be said about a lot of footwear. uh, So I think we shouldn't unfairly dump on Crocs for the fact that it's got a a certain type of polymer that you can't recycle and, and it won't biodegrade. At the same time, this is something that's going to stick around in landfills for a long, long time. And I do think that you see this pop back into people's consciousness. We'll see as we go along. Right now, I was not able to find anybody online who's, who's even talking about this issue, unlike uh, the, the, the days from 10 or 11 years ago where that was a bigger concern. Yeah, I wasn't even aware that that was a concern until you just mentioned it now, which I... I think is a testament to maybe not my research skills, hopefully not my research skills, but to exactly what you said at the end there, which is nobody seems to be talking about it. Um, And I like that as a risk factor because I I do think at one point, especially when things catch fire, right, the, the flip side always comes to light. And with Crocs, the flip side of that durability and and non-porousness is something that is durable against human nature as well. Mother nature, I should say. Uh, so definitely something to think about. But let's move on to, to some recent performance for Crocs. We've managed to avoid really talking about any numbers uh, so far, which I'm proud of us for. But let's get some numbers out there because I'm sure everybody's wondering what could possibly happen have have happened over the last five years to justify that 900% gain in Croc stock price. Um, I know when I looked at their most recent quarter, I was pretty shocked by some of the numbers I was seeing. They have record levels of revenue um, over the last three quarters. And in the most recent quarter, they had 64% year-over-year growth on top of that stellar 2020, uh, largely driven by trends across the U.S. Yeah, this was really amazing to me uh, after we decided on this uh, ticker t- to take a look at, it had not really crossed my consciousness for so many years. And here they are with this explosive growth. Um, really high gross margins for a company that's manufacturing and distributing what's you know essentially footwear. So I believe their uh, gross margin hovers around 55% and operating margins are also very decent. So um, when you look at this company, Operating margins of of 30% in the quarter they just reported on in April, so they'll be due for another report soon. That is a company that looks like it's got a great business model if they can sustain uh, the growth and continue with their strategy of expansion in Asia and Europe, that they should be able to put a lot of excess cash on their balance sheet and maybe not be in quite the precarious situation they were during the Great Recession. And by the way, Emily, I went back and glanced at those financials from 2008 and 2009 when they their auditors were uh, saddling them with a going concern comment, as, as you mentioned to me in our, our notes, which is one of the worst things that can happen. That means that your auditors are unsure if you'll be able to continue on in a year, within a year past the date they signed their letter. That's a pretty big deal. The balance sheet actually wasn't that bad in 2008 and 2009, and they still had positive operating cash flow. 
But I think at the time, because the environment was so poor and credit was so hard to access during the Great Recession, that the auditors were probably worried if this brand had staying power. And the thesis looked poor at that point. But we should give Crocs some credit in that their base margins seem to always supply them, except in extreme circumstances with positive operating cash flow, when you convert those sales into cash. So I think it's really um, a resilient business model from that standpoint. I, I wanted to to knock on this as I was going in because I don't like this shoe. <laughs> but I found, <laughs> to be honest, that uh, they, they seem to have a, a pretty um, resilient business model. Now, let's talk a little bit about how those sales are composed. Uh, when we look at that most recent quarter, about 32% of the sales were digital. And that includes wholesale and direct-to-consumer sales. And wholesale re- revenue grew about 50% versus direct to consumer. And that itself was up about 131% year over year in the US. So it's hard to really punch a hole in their growth story over the last year. And and as I said before, into 2021, Emily, they're succeeding both at a retail level uh, in their own stores, in uh, other department stores, and also with their direct to consumer business reminds me a little bit of Yeti, which is a company which also has strong brand power that both of us have said many times on this podcast, we missed because of the strength of the brand. There is something uh, of a brand story that's propelling all these numbers. So you have to give Crocs some, I think, some long-term sustainability from a brand perspective, just to maybe um, make a counter to what we were saying before about the cyclicality of the brand and the, the peaks and trough here. When you look at the numbers, to me, it looks like a company that will be able to maintain sort of a base case of profitability, even in hard times. What are your thoughts? The first thought I had when looking at the financial performance was uh, similar to yours, Austin. I was shocked at how free cash flow positive this business was, even during challenging years, even when Crocs weren't suddenly pro- uh, you know, a popular cool shoe to own. So I was just amazed that this seemingly great business had kind of gone under under my radar for so long. And I think management's aware of that brand power that you talked about. They've been increasingly, I guess, say being skeptical is maybe a strong way to put it. They've been rethinking their relationships with a lot of their wholesalers, people who they say they don't see as representative of its brand. But I, I take to mean people who don't move a ton of their product, don't have a lot of cachet with consumers, so they can drive more direct-to-consumer sales, which are obviously uh, more higher margin product sales. And um, in 2020 alone, wholesale revenue was a pretty sizable portion of that top line, around 50% of all sales. So there's a really big opportunity for Crocs to pull more demand straight into Crocs stores as well as their website. Certainly. Um, So having said that, what about this debt picture now? In um, the 2008-2009 period, the company was saddled with debt. It eventually uh, paid down some of that debt. When looking at the balance sheet, Emily, do you have any concerns going forward about how that um, financial picture pans out? Are they exposed to to too much long-term debt, or do do you feel it's manageable? If you just look at the numbers, I think it's a 
as as much as you know, they're pulling in an operating profit right now, you'd probably say, no, no, the, the debt's fine. And I, I think I tend to be a little bit more concerned that this is a business that has been issuing a sizable amount of debt. Um, in part, they're using that debt to pay off their higher interest debt so they can have an overall lower interest expense. But it's still somewhat concerning to me because they are still spending a lot of money and I think they have money up to a billion dollars in share repurchases. So this is a business taking on debt that tends to be cyclical, uh, admittedly in a low interest rate environment, but also spending money on a lot of share repurchases. It makes me nervous only because I'm really familiar with the the Crocs history, which as we mentioned, their debt load was part of the reason why they were so close to bankruptcy back during the Great Recession. I worry that they're setting themselves up in a similar position this time. Yeah, I noticed um, just in the first quarter of this year, their long-term borrowings almost doubled from 180 million at the end of 2020 to 341 million at the end of the first quarter in 2021. Uh, so that itself is a little concerning. Now, this chasing of expansion, of course, can be parsed in terms of a, a very long-term growth story as they seek to expand in Asia and Europe, as, as I was mentioning earlier. Looking at the rest of the balance sheet, their current ratio, the ratio of current assets, that's ready money versus current liabilities, liabilities that need to be paid within a year, looks fairly strong. It's at a more than two to one ratio. So they've got about $727 million in current assets versus about $326 million in current liabilities. I will point out though, $200 million of those current assets are in their inventory and $229 million of, of those assets are in accounts receivable. Still what we call quick assets, that is assets that can be readily uh, converted to cash. However, that inventory balance has been rising alongside. And Emily, I know you, that's probably also a concern in your mind. Rising inventory, rising debt levels, starts to sound a little bit like 2006, 2007, right before the hammer came down. That was actually the question that I, I, I kind of found myself coming back on uh, at the end of all this research on Crocs. The, the question I had after all of this was just, is Crocs making the same mistake twice or is this time different? Because when I look at those numbers, when I look at the increasing amount of debt, when I look at the huge amount of inventory, it's up over 50% in comparison to where it was in 2019. I see management taking the same moves that they took back right before the Great Recession that did not set them up for success when the tides turned against them. The other aspect that I think is concerning is management has focused so much in prior years of bringing down the number of SKUs, SKUs and today they're talking about increasing the number of SKUs as Crocs have become popular again. So it's almost like this fair weather strategy that when you know, their tides are in their favor. They will make decisions that act as if the business is going to grow at infinite levels for the foreseeable future without really having a prudent plan in place for if and when Crocs stop being so attractive and stop being so popular. That makes me kind of nervous. And uh, the other thing I'll quickly add there is in the most recent earnings call, management said this, I think almost three or four times at the call, was that they expect claw growth to outpace sandals this year. But over the longer term, sandals will grow faster than clogs. Clogs are over 75% of their total revenue right now. So they think that their sandal line is going to start um, ruminating, I guess, with, with customers. And I don't see that happening today at peak croc popularity. All of that makes me feel like 
yeah, I think Crocs could be making the same mistake twice. I really want to root for this business because I love a good underdog story. And um, it was such a pleasure to walk around their store, truly kind of kiddish and fun and exciting. I want them to succeed, but I have a hard time swallowing this pill. Yeah. So let's break that down a little bit. You know, we've got on the one hand, what seems to be a story that repeats itself. On the other hand, Andrew Reese is still the CEO. We should mention that the company bought back some of the shares that BlackRock uh, owned. So they clawed back a little bit of that investment. Nonetheless, BlackRock, I think, still owns about 17% of the company. They still have board representation. So this big private equity concern is guiding Crocs. And I think that they're there to sort of step in uh, when the company starts to extend itself. Now, the other side of the coin is, why haven't they stepped in yet? The, the message from BlackRock seems to be, yeah, go ahead and, and plow into the demand right now. Go ahead and expand the footprint, expand the styles. What you just mentioned, Emily, though, is a departure from the base case. And we've mentioned this a few times already in this podcast, that the company's best strategy has been the back to basics emphasis on its classic design clog. Um, Will those sales materialize for sandals? Will that become uh, an accelerated part of the revenue puzzle? I don't know. The other thing that I think we should be wary of is, is management is also keen on the growth rate of gibbets. Gibbets is growing at a much faster rate than the rest of the product lines. But this little uh, ornament, which lets you customize your shoe, only makes up about 4% of total revenue. So maybe it plays a role in the overall sale, the fact that you can customize the shoe. But Gibbets itself is not going to be the key to revenue growth if the sandals growth falls through. Uh, So what we could see is a deceleration of sales as people start to get back outside and uh, do other things with their lives where the Crocs shoe is a nice to have in the closet, but not necessarily what you're putting on to go for a hike or even to go back to work. Unless, unless of course, you work in a hospital, as I was saying earlier, and that is uh, de rigueur for your, for your daily outfit. I think that what we've got here is a company that's had some phenomenal success in terms of share price. The future is just not as certain to me and um, I, you know, I I have to put my my own uh, thoughts and and feelings about the shoe itself, <laughs> and and give some props to the brand, but I do think that the past history is weighing here on the forward case. If Crocs had a history of stable growth and stable brand management, and was able to appeal to different generations of buyers in all kinds of weather, it'd be a lot easier to buy shares of this company. Uh, maybe an example of a company that seems easier to invest in after accelerated growth, which we talked about a few weeks ago, is Trex. Trex is an environmentally company. It makes outdoor decking. And Emily, although we came away from that episode saying that, yeah, Trex has run up a bit, we still felt, both of us felt really good on how solid the demand has been in all environments since Trex became public. Um, this is not so. This is more uh, a company that is at the whim of the consumer. And I think that it does have that opportunity for the love to swing to hate for a time. And let's just 
scenarioize here what happens if this momentum sort of reverses and instead of sales acceleration, we see a return to the norm or worse, just a, a slowdown in sales. You, you, to think through what this would do to both the brand and the share price, um, it makes me uh, reluctant to, to want to go out and buy shares. I find myself saying the age-old adage of, of buy the product, don't necessarily buy the stock. And I think that's where I find myself as a consumer. I would be surprised if after spending all of these hours thinking about Crocs that I don't find myself eventually making a purchase, especially of one of their sandals. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also very aware of the fact that Crocs in my mind um, are always going to be a little bit controversial, always going to be a little bit fatty. But if if you're like, um, if you're listening and you're like Osset, where you maybe you have this deep seated hatred towards Crocs and you can't quite figure out why, um, there's a once popular blog that is still up and running today that I stumbled upon called IHateCrocs.com. And it made its last post in 2011, only recently last month, having come back to make another post, the first one in a decade. Um, but I like the last post that that blog poster, whose name is escaping me right now, made in 2011. He said, Crocs as a company really does try. You have to give them that. And I thought that was a nice kind of line to leave today's podcast on. I love that. And I, I have to say one more thing with with the stock price, which is rocketed up 229% over the last trailing 12 months, there was something that needed to wake the sleeping giant. I, I think it's more the resurgence of, of popularity in current culture than the stock price, but there, the sleeping giant awakes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining and providing your valuable insight on Crocs as always. <laughs> Thanks so much, Emily. And, and unlike you, I think I'll, I'll pass on buying a pair in the near future. <laughs> listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions and you want to reach out to say hi, shoot us an email at industryfocusatfool.com. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks, Tim Sparks, for his work behind the screen today. For Asit Sharma, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on! <laughs> <laughs>